The Lord be with you and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. For this hour we rest in the spirit of love. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Lent is meant to remind us of the priority of worship, to find a way to get to worship. Worship brings the insight of personal need lifted in prayer. Worship brings the insight of another's hurt lifted in communal singing, four-part harmonic hymns. Worship brings the insight of clarity, a word fitly spoken, lifted in the sermon. Worship brings the insight of choosing, the choice of faith, not thrill but will, lifted in the invitations to devotion, discipline, and dedication. Worship brings the insight of loyalty, of heart, lifted every Sunday in the offering of gifts and tithes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, we pause at the beginning of our service of worship each Lord's Day in a moment of silent and personal confession. Henry Nouwen of blessed memory wrote of the distance between resentment and gratitude and how resentment can occlude or block our generous sense of gratitude. This moment of prayer is a step away from one and toward the other, a step away from modes of resentment and a step toward gratitude. As the choir sings for us, may we bow in silent confession. Let us pray. of St. Patrick, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 107 with the Antiphon.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some were sick through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Now please stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Glory to you, O Lord. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. Our newspaper reported this week about a man who built an igloo out of the snow mountain on his front lawn. The mounds of snow, several feet high and deep and wide, offered him an architectural opportunity. Remembering his growing up years, he built himself an igloo. He grew up, the paper said, in upstate New York. His igloo included four rooms. His wife decorated the rooms with artwork and the window sills open to the elements with candles. He was photographed and looked happy with his work. It may have been that he recalled in the excavation some part of his growing up days, the habits he had acquired at an early age. Quote, it is no small matter whether one habit or the other is inculcated in us from early childhood. On the contrary, it makes a considerable difference, or rather, all the difference. It is no small matter whether one habit or the other is inculcated in us from early childhood. On the contrary, it makes a considerable difference, or rather, all the difference. This is the voice of Jonathan Edwards, with whom we converse to some measure in these Lenten sermons. Real religion involves religious affections, or so Edwards taught. Give some consideration this morning to your own religious affections, your experience, your dispositions, your inclinations, your predilections, your affections. Just before our gospel reading, Nicodemus, thrice mentioned in John, has departed. You remember his interview with Jesus. He asks about being born again. He asks about resurrection life. He asks about spirit. In the nighttime interview, Jesus answers him, you must be born anew. Your religion, your religious affection counts on this. Our gospel today takes the same theme further. God is love, or love is God. Eternal life is trust in God who is love. The doorway to eternal life is trust we learn this in our experience. This trust is a gift, God's gift, and with open hands, we receive the gift of God. We do not achieve or earn or create this trust. It is given to us. The gift comes wrapped. Belief and trust and faith and knowledge come gift-wrapped in meaning and belonging and empowerment in the beloved community, the community of faith, the church. To make sure the hearer and reader of his gospel get the full measure of his point, the author of John uses a great old word, judgment, krisis in Greek. You hear our own word, crisis, here. Until John, more or less, judgment was reserved for the end of time, the eschaton, the apocalypse, John is as, resonantly, is, as is resonantly clear here, says something different. Judgment is not at the end of time. Judgment is now. Judgment does not await the arrival of the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven, or the millennial reign, or wars and rumors of wars, or signs of the times. No, the critical moment is this one, now. John has replaced speculation with spirit, 
John has replaced eschaton with eternal life. John has replaced Armageddon with the artistry of every day. John has courageously left behind that to which most of the rest of the New Testament still clings. John has replaced then with now. What courage. The upshot of this change as recorded in our scripture today is the near apotheosis of experience. Schweitzer, as an ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. In other words, the ancient Near Eastern apocalyptic of heaven and end of time judgment still present at various religious traditions, including our own, as we have tragic and sorrowful occasion to see in our time and city and struggles with violence is here replaced. In your experience, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And as my grandmother used to ask, are you walking in the light? Likewise, we notice that the letter to the Ephesians, written by a student of Paul, makes a complimentary affirmation. By grace you are saved through faith. He writes this twice, or an editor has added a second rendering. The phrase, both in its repetition and in its cadence, seems clearly to be a prized inheritance for the Ephesians. God is loving you into love and freeing you into freedom. God first loved us. You are not made whole by your doing. You are God's beloved and so are made whole, made healthy, made well, perfected. Both in our successes and in our failures, we truly depend upon a daily, weekly hearing of this promise and this warning. In our experience, we are given to trust God. Our response and actions will then forever be overshadowed by real love, by God's love. The Marsh pulpit in this decade has conversed come Lent with Calvinism, a sibling tradition, different in emphasis from our own, but one deeply embedded in the long history of New England. My joy in learning more this winter about Jonathan Edwards, 1703 to 1758, a contemporary of John Wesley, I have shared only to encourage you to know something about him. If in Northampton, Massachusetts, you could visit his old haunts, that's a good thing. If reading about our American history, you could appreciate him through the critical and criticized masterpiece of Perry Miller, that too a good thing. If meditating, you could refocus in faith by recalling Edward's emphasis on beauty, on excellence, on grace, so too a good thing. A university pulpit, like any, strives weekly to preach the gospel, as Augustine noted, to teach and to delight and to persuade. In some slight measure, our duty here may accentuate, at least come Lent, and its seasonal discipline of disciplines, the first of these, to teach. Today, as a doctrinal consequence upon our Holy Scripture, we shall simply or singularly approach Edward's consideration of experience, what he called religious affections. He made his most careful study in this area 
after the Great Awakening of 1740. The evangelistic success of his preaching in Northampton, which brought George Whitfield to the farm country of Western Massachusetts, strangely caused Edward's consternation. He had occasion to question his own success. That is, he wondered just how truly religious some of the newly acquired affections were in Northampton and beyond. I find that in itself a remarkable, even heroic spiritual move to find in your own success an occasion for self-criticism. Edward's good Puritan he made two lists of 12 signs each, one a list of false signs of religious affection and one a list of true signs of religious affection. And in an earlier version of the sermon, I had these ready to give to you one by one. You may be relieved to know that what follows is a summary instead. <laughs> Edward distrusts appearances when it comes to religion with good Protestant and biblical warrant, as you recognize. He distrusts, you may be surprised to hear, given his fatherhood of the Great Awakening, he distrusts emotion, eagerness, excitement, biblical literacy, volubility, comfort, religious effort, self-confidence, verbosity, elocution, and impact on others. This this list he offered after, not before, the great religious upswing known the world over of 1740. The fullness of love can actually be counterfeited, he judged, or maybe he saw with his own eyes. Today we might say, religion is not a good thing or not necessarily a good thing. Religion is like the weather and theology in that way like meteorology. It can be good. It can be. But if religion causes the brother to stumble, if the Sabbath is not made for man, if the inside of the cup is not cleansed, if all that glitters is not gold, if with Cervantes and the Quixote, appearance threatens reality, then religion is not good. Many great troubles today are religious in some measure, from Ferguson to Tikrit to Gaza to our own city, our own home, our own time, our own town. Rather, Edwards, this quintessential Yankee Puritan Calvinist, trusts reality, not appearance. He trusts the divine source the love of God, holiness, beauty, intellectual understanding, humility, self-criticism, gentleness, tenderness, harmony, in short, whatever is Christ-like. He lived through the aftermath of two cycles of religious fervor out in Northampton and came out with a balance of Wisdom like that of a serpent and innocence like that of a dove. Today we might say, when you go to pray, enter your closet and shut the door. And if you fast, wash your face and smile and be not 
a saint abroad and a devil at home. Edwards then puts a major daily question before us about religious affections and about religious experience. What here is appearance and what here is reality? Moving in good Puritan form from scripture through doctrine now to application, how shall we apply this to our own life today? On one hand, we might look at the modes of representation of appearance that intend or pretend to connect us in reality. For all our information technology, all our IT, are we any closer today than 30 years ago to I, thou? IT? or I thou, not only for our soon-to-return undergraduates, but seriously for them, as well as for all of us, the question of this relationship looms daily, hourly. How much do the newer technologies aid us in the timeless challenge of becoming fully human? says the Buddhist, wherever you are, be there. Are we? Are we truly anywhere anymore? Are we ever unplugged to sufficient measure that we can relate to one another, to others, to self, to world, to God? Are we ever fully free heart and spirit to see and be and be awed by the sunrise, to look at and be entrenched by the night sky, to love and be in love with the beloved, to swim in the fresh water of freedom and grace and love? Do we live to work or work to live? Is there still a way through the snow pile to an igloo? Friends, the world does not revolve around your inbox, nor does it revolve around mine. And that is good news. Wisdom to the mighty, honor to the brave. And it is good sense. It's even good business. One writer noted, every business person, regardless of national origin, is more likely to transact business with a colleague or counterpart he or she has worked and socialized with. Real commerce, even, happens in real time among real people who really know and like and want to work with each other. Does email and its cousins help make and keep human life fully human? Consider the mode, just the mode. No face, no voice, no body, no personhood, no privacy, no life. Who really, beyond 15 minutes a day, wants to communicate this way or wants to live this way? 
to say nothing of the rudiments of the practice of ministry. How do we approach I and thou in an era under the reign of IT? How do we conjure and remember the lasting wisdom of Martin Buber? Love does not cling to the I in such a way as to have the thou only for its content, he wrote, its object. But love is between I and thou. The basic word, he wrote, I, you, can only be spoken with one's whole being. The basic word, I, it, can never be spoken with one's whole being. On the other hand, we might look at our more intimate relationships. Several times this year, we have spoken from this pulpit about safety for women on campus. And we shall continue to do so, so that Marsh Chapel, with its partners near and far, will continue to strive to be a sacred space that is a safe place. The bifurcation of appearance and reality, endemic to cyber culture, think yik yak, has consequences in many directions, one of which is the peril of losing the muscle and habit of interpersonal conversation, interpersonal discourse, and thus affection. It takes practice to learn to listen well and deeply. It takes time to develop the vocabulary and tongue to speak from the heart. It takes live experience, living engagement, to see and hear others as multidimensional, not one-dimensional beings, real people, not appearances. All of us, older and younger, continue to learn and grow, and over time we trust a new and healthier national and collegiate culture will emerge. A recent review of the documentary film, The Hunting Grounds, written by Ty Burr, raises the same point in its conclusion. Emotional intimacy can be found everywhere online while it is vanishing from the physical world. The movie does a fine and fierce job of portraying campus sexual assault as a national disease, but it never dares to suggest that it's a symptom. Nietzsche famously argued that if God is dead, everything is permitted. With a wisp of John chapter 2 and faith and trust and belief still in the air and the gospel of John and chapter 3, like a harbinger of a spring not quite here, we might try to put it otherwise in a positive mode. That is, if the language of worship, of divine love, and a responsive human love, if the language of worship can be learned and lifted and shared, then there is a capacity, a cultural capacity, a cultural syntax and grammar 
and spelling that gradually can offer an alternative to our current malaise. Affection, real emotional intimacy in word and deed, might find its necessary wellsprings in religious affections, real emotional intimacy and word and deed. So, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Then, because God made the stars to shine, because God made the ivy twine, because God made the ocean blue, because God made you, that's why I love you. You know, with joy, right here in these years, we have seen young life become new life, as we have in some beautiful weddings this winter. This happens in the college years. One of the sources of healing on campus is worship. One of the sources of healing on campus is worship. Against all odds in the hunting grounds, it may just be the one thing needful. For one who knows and experiences the love of God has then the heart with which to love another and the language and the sensitivity and the humanity and the capacity, the capacity to defeat rapacity. So hear the gospel. In scripture, your experience counts. In doctrine, Reality, not appearance, is the core of religious affections. And in application, balance IT and I-thou, and let your affections be formed and informed by your religious affections. For it is no small matter whether one habit or the other is inculcated in us from early childhood. On the contrary, it makes a considerable difference, or rather, all the difference, or at least so thought Jonathan Edwards. Amen. We come now to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude of pos or posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming forward to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
Sisters and brothers, our baptismal vows call us to compassion and mercy on behalf of those in need. We offer our prayers for the church and the world. I will end each petition with Lord in your mercy and your response will be, hear our prayer. Revive and invigorate the varied ministries in your church and encourage new avenues of praying and proclaiming, nurturing and teaching the good news to all in need of receiving it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Renew and nourish the vital web that connects all of creation. Help us to recognize how we are connected to all life on earth and open us in occasions for reflection and rejuvenation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Enable us to be there, relating to and communicating with those around us in your love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Intercede where justice and peace are lacking, especially in Pakistan, Ferguson, Vanuatu, and the Middle East, and raise us and our nation's leaders up to respond to need, the needs of all people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Assure the restless and those seeking answers that they may find peace in your comfort. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Relieve the suffering of all those who need healing or resolution especially those that we silently name before you now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Accompany all who travel, especially students who are returning to campus this weekend, and those who are far from home, that they may re remain in your steadfast care. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us to welcome the visitors among us and to learn from what they have to offer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Steadfast God, you reach out to us in mercy even when we rebel against your holy call and prefer to walk in disobedience rather than the way of your divine truth. Soften our hearts with the warmth of your love that we may know your Son alive within us, redeeming us and raising us up into your eternal presence. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you, and also with you. We would like to take this time to welcome you again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary in the midst of a city, a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. We hope that you find a home here and feel that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, this is the place to continue that walk. 
We would love to hear from you, and a great way to do that is to fill out the red pads found in the center of your pews, or to be in touch with us by email at chapel at bu.edu. Also, be aware that there's an opportunity for online giving if you are feeling so led by a spirit of generosity. You can visit bu.edu chapel to find the link. You are always welcomed here, and we would like to update you on some events and announcements for Marsh Chapel. First, directly following the service will be refreshments downstairs, a great time for fellowship and coffee. You are most welcome. Also, Art Vespers start restarts again this evening, so please join us at 6.30 p.m. in Robinson Chapel downstairs to pray, to paint, to share a meal and communion. See Jessica Chica if you have more questions. Walking on Water, Marsh Chapel's broomball team, has its next game this coming Saturday at 9 p.m. All are welcome to play. Monday night community dinner is up and running. I will be cooking tomorrow, and the menu is a homemade tomato sauce, pasta, hand-rolled turkey meatballs, and some salad. In all humility, it's going to be good. So you should come at 6 p.m. downstairs tomorrow. And last but certainly not least, we welcome and are deeply grateful for the leadership, the musical leadership in our worship of In Coro Novo under the direction of Dr. Provenzano as they lead us in worship this morning. As we beckon the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. We have an opportunity now to practice the ancient and sacred discipline of Christian generosity. As our choir lifts us up the song, may you find yourself being as generous as you are able.
Gracious God, may these gifts be used in your service for the life of the church and the life of the world. And may we be reminded of your unending love as we work and live as people of God. Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. Amen.